today on Reparations in Action. They try to blame it on the earthquake itself and say that, you know, because there's so much rubble, the water had gotten contaminated and this is how the people got sick. Cholera existed in Haiti as a result of the United Nations poisoning the water in Haiti. Where, uh, since he was assassinated, there has been no uh, official leadership in Haiti. You're listening to Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3. You're listening to the White Lies Shattered podcast and FM radio show. My name is Jamie Simpson, and I'm the host of White Lies Shattered, which is produced out of the Black Power 96 studio and broadcast on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Black Power 96 is not just explaining the world, but changing it. You can get the app for Black Power 96 on Google Play or the Apple App Store and listen wherever you are located. White Lies Shattered, also known as Reparations in Action, is a program of white solidarity with black power. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. We want to begin by saluting Chairman Omalia Shatella and the African People's Socialist Party for leading the African Revolution for over 50 years and for developing the theory of African internationalism, the theory and worldview of the African working class that guides the African Revolution and which we credit for all the understandings and analysis provided on this podcast. So this week, we're going to take a look, an African internationalist look, at the current situation in Haiti. To help us understand what is happening on the ground in Haiti and its historical context, I was honored to welcome back to Reparations in Action a member of the African People's Socialist Party in the office of Chairman Omalia Chatella, Elikia Ngoma. Elikia is the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper and the Haiti expert for the African People's Socialist Party. The following interview was recorded on October 27th, 2022. Uhuru, and I just want to give a warm welcome to Comrade Elikia Ngoma, the Haiti editor of The Burning Spear, the Haiti expert for the African People's Socialist Party, a member of the African People's Socialist Party in the office of Chairman Omalia Shatella. Uhuru, and welcome, Comrade Elikia. Uhuru, Comrade. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited about being able to, um, you know, have this conversation with you. Uhuru. Yeah, it's a very important conversation uh, because we want to be able to get to the truth of what's going on on the ground in Haiti, where uh, from all reports, there is an absolute crisis unfolding. Um, so could you just give us an overview of of the situation, the current situation on the ground in Haiti? Yes. Um, so what I want to say is that what we are seeing unfolding in Haiti right now traces back at least to um, two years ago. the July 7th, 2020, murder of the then neocolonial president, Jovenel Moïse, where uh, since he was assassinated, there has been no uh, official leadership in Haiti, neocolonial or not, you know, even if he did not work in the interest of the people, uh, since his assassination, there has been no, you know, head of state, head of government, um, you know, taking any action whatsoever. And while that has been happening, you've had um, inflation, you know, uh, 
the cost of everything has gone up. It says in, in a report of an article I read in July of 2020, it says that inflation is up to 30.5%. Um, you know, the cost of gas has gone up, which gas is very uh, crucial in countries like Haiti and other countries that, you know, not everything is electric. So in terms of the, the kind of stoves you're using for cooking, is gas, not only gas in terms of the way you think about it for your car, but everything runs on fuel. The, the cost of gas has gone up, which moves the cost of everything up. And uh, that part of it had actually existed even before the assassination. This is part of what people were demonstrating against, um, even in 2019 and le leading up to 2020, uh, there were already a lot of uh, uprisings against the cost of living that was increasing and that has only multiplied, um, you know, since 2020 and, you know, going into, into right now. So this is what we're seeing unfold. It's not something that just came out of nowhere. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, you know, one of the things that, that, that we can hear in, in the news, the, you know, mostly imperial news, uh, is this question of gang violence and, um, Gangs, I, I believe, like since you mentioned fuel, I believe there's talk of a, a some sort of blockade of fuel that has to do with these gangs. There's a lot of discussion of extreme violence around that question. So I, I wonder if you could just give us some some clarity to this this outcry around gang violence, and uh, you know, deep in the question of what's going on around the lack of the police, the lack of the state, and let us know what that has to do with the history of U.S. and colonial nations intervening in the government and the affairs of Haiti and, and what Africans on the ground in Haiti want, if, if they want an intervention or not. Yes. Um, well, first, to begin with the question of gangs, I'm glad you asked that question. I actually wrote an article about that um, in 2021 where I explained, uh, first of all, the concept of gangs in Haiti are not necessarily the same as when you think of uh, gangs that exist here, um, you know, which have a different history than what is told anyway, but gangs within the U.S. These gangs are actually more like uh, formal or informal uh, militia. And, you know, back when Jovenel was alive, it was very obvious that he had, he had very known ties to these gangs. And even now, um, you know, uh, you have other government, other other governors and senators who have direct ties to these gangs, and these gangs work in the interest of the governors and the senators that employ them. So they're not just you know uh, regular regular in quotation marks, you know street beef or anything that come like that. These are people that are working for the state um, itself. And so where you have two senators or two governors or two state officials that oppose each other, the gangs oppose each other as well. And, you know, they, they are in opposition to the police as well, but the police are still in opposition to the people as well. So it's just a lot of increased insecurity and both the gangs and the police are tools of the state, even if they may have infighting amongst each other, but they are tools of the neo-colonial neo state against the people because um, you know they are there to stop the people from taking to the streets, from organizing, from doing any kind of rebellion, any kind of resistance or demonstration that they want to do. The gang is usually 
um, the first step that that stops that now stops that from happening. And, you know, there's discussion going on. I think today a U.S. representative is, is going to be in, in Canada. And one of the things that they're going to be talking about is the possibility of a U.N. action right in g- going into Haiti. And we know that one of the things to factor into whether or not that happens is cholera. There's currently a cholera outbreak, if I'm not mistaken, in Haiti. Could you speak to what what the historical role is of the UN in particular in the affairs of Haiti and the fact that the UN was blamed for the cholera outbreak that I believe happened after the uh, 2010 earthquake? Yeah, if you could speak to that. Yes. So um, first, I want to say that any time cholera had existed in Haiti was due to uh, colonial intervention. You know, I I wrote about this for the Burning Spear as well. The very first time cholera existed in Haiti was with Christopher Columbus, and then it had stopped existing. And as you just mentioned, uh, in 2010, the the cholera that took place after the Haiti earthquake did not um, they they try to blame it on the earthquake itself and say that, you know, because there's so much rubble, the waters had gotten contaminated and this is how the people got sick. But it's not true. Um, cholera existed in Haiti as a result of the United Nations poisoning the water in Haiti. And in that time, um, there were a total of 820,000 cases of cholera. And it took about 10 years for cholera to be out of the country. It took until 2020 for there to not be cholera anymore. And um, so when you talk about the United Nations coming into Haiti, it's not only cholera, but it's also the rape of women, men, children. Um, You know, they come in with extreme violence, you know, even as they're called the UN peacekeepers, but, you know, they are warmongers. They they come in with violence. They come in um, and just abuse the people. And so this is part of the same resistance that we're seeing right now, not only for uh, Ariel Henry to step down, but uh, resistance against the United Nations coming in because the people recognize that the UN has never been a friend of Haiti and will not be a friend of Haiti and that every time they come in, they bring terror. And, you know, also just want to say that even though this may not be exactly articulated by some of the people, but the same people who are ordering for the United Nations to come in are the same people who are employing these same gangs. So the UN in adi- um, having a president a presence in Haiti would just be in addition to the state violence as well as the gang, um, you know, the, the militia that's formed against the people in Haiti. It would just be uh, a, a third or a fourth attack against the people of Haiti. And I think um, I don't know if people make that exact connection, but that's what it is. Um, but whether they do or, or don't, um, the average person in Haiti, the average African in Haiti recognizes that the United Nations is not someone that we welcome into the country. And, you know, th- this has been discussed in the colonial, the bourgeois media, this this uh, difficulty that the UN is having because of that legacy. Uh, specifically around cholera. And I even heard it mentioned that the only way the UN would be able to intervene and have that be politically feasible is if they first paid reparations for the cholera outbreak after the earthquake in 2010. What do you think are the implications of uh, colonial 
powers even bringing up this discussion of reparations to Haiti? First of all, I think it's very dishonest. And, you know, they also disconnect, um, you know, the UN. They seemingly disconnect the United Nations from the United States and the United States from France and France from Canada when they have that conversation. Because um, let's say the United Nations were to pay reparations for having cholera in the first time. Why, with, would it, with any good sense, would that mean that it's okay for them to come in again? You know, reparations, you know, to repair is to pay what you're owed. So, yes, Haiti is owed reparations, not only from the United Nations, but those other places that I named that I'm going to get to shortly as well. Um, but just because, you know, if you pay reparations, that reparations is not a ticket for you to come in again. It's just you acknowledging what you've done in the past. That doesn't, it's, you know, it makes no sense. And you can't talk about, you know, Haiti and reparations without talking about the fact that Haiti itself was forced to pay reparations to France that we, you know, uh, after the uh, the successful African revolution of Haiti or what people call the Haitian revolution, Haiti was paid, Haiti had paid over $90 billion to France in reparations. So not only are those reparations due, which they're not mentioning in this conversation, um, Reparations for colonial enslavement from France itself are due. Reparations from the United States and, you know, the many times that the U.S. has occupied Haiti is due. You know, Canada, which uh, people kind, kind of like seems to gloss over when they're talking about Haiti, you know, all of those uh, have to pay reparations. And I just think it's, again, dishonest and you know, how they conveniently bring up the conversation of reparations in terms of like, in order for the United Nations to come in, they have to pay reparations first, as if that is like, at least as if that opens the door for them to come in to Haiti. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really interesting and infuriating that, that notion of reparations as, as a ticket for continued exploitation and looting. Um, and I what I, you know, we did an episode here on reparations in action with uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee about this New York Times article. I don't know if, if you'd seen it. It was called The Root of Haiti's Misery, Reparations to Enslavers. And just what, what you said about France paying, you know, or forcing Haiti rather to pay reparations for having liberated themselves for the loss of their property being African human beings and, and labor and resources. Um, wh what do you think generally of that, of this whole discussion around reparations is happening in the colonial ruling class where, where it's like suddenly they've discovered this issue. Do you think that's re really what things even like that uh, New York Times article are about is just trying to find a way to facilitate more exploitation and, and plunder? I, th I think more than one thing at the same time. Um, well, one, you know, as, as a member of the African People's Socialist Party, African People's Socialist Party, um, you know, the question of reparations, it, it was the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Omalia Shatella that made reparations a household world, a household word, um, you know, beginning with the World Tribunal in 1982 in Brooklyn, New York. So, you know, to have a conversation about, for anybody to be having a, a conversation about reparations, that's as a result of the African Revolution itself um, and the leadership of the African Revolution. So, you know, just want to get that out there first. Um, I think because of that work and then even the African People's Socialist Party strategy in creating the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, um, which, uh, as you know, is an organization, uh, the African People's Solidarity Committee, 
committee and Uhuru Solidarity Movement organizations of white people working under the revolution, under the leadership of the African Revolution, and uh, extending the demand for reparations into the white communities, I think all, all of these colonial and imperialist um, you know, news sites, they are only dealing with it now because they're forced to deal with it because of the work that's been laid um, and the work that's been done by the African Revolution ourselves. So that's the first thing, that they are having these discussions not because they necessarily want to, but because they have to. And then in doing so, they are trying to, um, you know, avoid the real definition and what it really means. So while they're having this conversation now, they will try to bend what, you know, what reparations is, what it looks like, and just control the narrative on what that means as a way to try to, you know, absolve themselves of it or, you know, do something as city, like what was just suggested that if the UN pays reparations, I'll, then that's that's the key to opening the door to going to Haiti, as if it's something that, you know, doesn't actually mean anything. It's just something you do, you know, to gain access to continue colonialism. And that's not what reparations is. So I think as they're having this conversation, um, you know, again, it's because they have to, and then they are trying to um, warp people's understanding of what it is. But the same way the African People's Socialist Party um, began the work and really took that work head on uh, for the demand of reparations to African people is the way, you know, we're going to continue um, because that is the just demand of the the African revolution. And it's not going to not happen. So one of the things that's being discussed in in the uh, bourgeois media right now is is the profound suffering of of the Haitian of, of African people in Haiti, um, the the poverty, the uh, food insecurity, near starvation or actual starvation going on. Um, could you speak to the the origin of this poverty um, and its relationship to colonial invasions? Of Haiti, blockades of Haiti, like you know, you already alluded to this. What what France did to Haiti after the 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 Haitian Revolution and uh, the U.S. occupation of Haiti in, in I believe nineteen fifteen, if I'm not mistaken. What's the relationship there? Um, that's a good question. So, um, just want to mention to people that there is an article on the Burning Spear, um, you know, about this as well, because we do aim to answer all questions um, as it pertains to you know the world you know, as a whole. Um, so when you talk about this, this also ties into the series of articles you were talking about uh, with the New York Times, where they, um, you know, kind of spelled out certain attacks that were made, that has been made against Haiti um, since the revolution until now. And I, I even think they had to do that because of the Burning Spear newspaper and a series of articles that were written on um, you know, the revolution in Haiti and certain, you know, webinars that the African People's Socialist Party has done around Haiti as well. I think they had to do that, um, you know, just to put that out there. But, uh, you know, as as mentioned, after the revolution that was won in 1804, um, Haiti was forced to pay France reparations for the loss of their property. And the property that the French were talking about was the Africans ourselves, because that's how uh, you know, African people were seen de- during colonial slavery as property, as something to own or something to be owned. Um, and 
the consequence was that if they did not, if we did not pay those reparations, that we would not be able to trade with any country in the world. And anybody who knows, you know, just, just the basic thing about economics knows that, you know, trade is essential to the economy of any country. So that also answers the question as to, well, why did they actually pay it? Um, it was also, um, some people also expressed that they paid it because they hoped that it would keep the French from coming back, um, you know, from coming back to, to steal things and take things. So either way, it was not something that was done willfully. It was a payment that was done very much forcefully. Um, and after that, you have, as you mentioned, in 1915, the United States Marines, um, you know, occupied Haiti and it facilitated the looting of the Haitian treasury and theft of every single ounce of gold. Um, it murdered the people's uh, leaders. It installed neocolonialism. And at gunpoint, um, it forced the Haitian government to rewrite the Haitian constitution and end the prohibition um, that's, that Jean-Jacques Dessalines wrote that said that white people could not own land in Haiti. Jean-Jacques Dessalines wrote that in the 1805 Constitution of Haiti. Um, and in 1915, between 1915 and 1934, which is when the U.S. Marines occupation of Haiti took place, um, the Constitution was forced at gunpoint. That's very important. It was not even something that was willingly done um, to allow white people to be able to own land. Um, in Haiti. And then even after that, the United States maintained ownership over the Haitian treasury until 1947. Um, and, you know, and 10 years later installed um, the neocolonial dictator, Francois uh, Papa Doc Duvalier. So, you know, and, and so on. The, the United States has interrupted in elections when uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, Aristide was the first democratically elected president in Haiti, um, the, the coups uh, that, that had been done against his presidency, that was the United States. The United States has always had, um, has always interfered in the affairs of Haiti, um, you know, because it, it, it seeks to keep us uh, punished, it seeks to keep us enslaved, and it, it seeks to also, um, you know, remind us that they will never get over um, the 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 revolution that we wage, which is what African people and any colonized people are supposed to do anyway. But of course, to the colonizer, uh, that's an unforgivable, you know, sin if you want to say it that way. Um, so the United States has always had its hands in Haiti. You also have, you know, even after the January um, 12, 2010 earthquake, you know, the Clinton Foundation that raised so much money, so much, so and the Red Cross so much money um, of people, you know, all over the world having sympathy for Haiti and making, donating billions, even trillions of dollars um, that did not go anywhere. So they, they, they've stolen, you know, money that was there. They've stolen money that was supposed to come in. This is the relationship that the United States has, um, that Haiti has with the United States. And this is also why you see people today recognizing that and, you know, protesting against the United States, the United States and the United Nations and, um, you know, protesting against U.S. occupation of Haiti again and the United States, the United Nations coming into Haiti because, you know, we remember these things. Wow. Thank you so much for that very powerful response. Um, I, I, w I wondered if you could also speak to the outcry over corruption, so-called corruption in Haiti. 
Like, do you think it's corruption going on? And and what is is the role of neocolonialism in Haiti? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question that way because neocolonialism is really the thing that we should be crying about. Um, you know, if if there is corruption in Haiti, I I would say that corruption dates back to you know before I was born. I think that the Haiti that Desalines, uh, Jean-Jacques Desalines envisioned for us, um, you know, that was probably the the Haiti and anything after that. If you want, you know, if there was corruption, if if it doesn't align with what he's saying, then you know, it's it's corruption. But the reason why I don't necessarily agree with the word corruption itself is because I think that ever since at least where I just talked about the United States intervention. Um, where, where you know, I use the key word United States installed neocolonialism. So at that point, it's not corruption anymore. It's a very much, it's a plan that is being played out. Um, you know, it's a system that is being played out. It's not a corrupt, uh, it's not something that was good and was corrupted. Um, it, this is, this is neocolonialism acting the way it should. And neocolonialism, um, if somebody is hearing this word for the first time, is uh it is colonialism in black face in simple term but really it's when uh the colonizers take forces of the colonized um group of people and use them in their interest against the rest of the people so it's what barack obama was in the united states where Barack Obama is an African man. He comes from the black community, but he did absolutely nothing in the interest of the black community. He was completely uh, working in the interest of white power and, you know, and the and the white ruling class. So he is a great example of neocolonialism. And so when you look at the, um, you know, uh, president uh, that was assassinated, Jovenel Moise, he was neocolonialism. And uh, Duvalier, who I mentioned as well, uh, both of them, the father and the son, they were neocolonialism. Um, and just some other, you know, senators and governors and any other people that, you know, they look like us as African people or, you know, other groups of colonized people. They look like us, but they don't work in our interests. Um, so that is neocolonialism. And that's why you can't just say it's corrupt. Um, the whole system itself has to go. It's not you know, it's not a, a bad seed in an otherwise good thing. The whole thing is bad. Right. And, you know, it, it's always seemed to me that in, in talking about that corruption, um, that, that it puts the responsibility for the, for everything going on in Haiti, the oppression, the, the, the poverty on Africans in Haiti. Right. And, and it obscures the reality of, of all the, the, the plunder by colonizers, by the white nations of the world. And that's, I, I really appreciate the, the, the clarity that, that you bring into that question. Um, so could you speak now to the question of the refugee crisis, right? Especially in uh, the wake of, of what happened, was it a, about a year ago on the Mexican border with, with Texas? Um, where we saw all those Africans uh, from Haiti treated in just a despicable and colonial way by U.S. agents in, in, in such a public way that uh, was a really difficult time for uh, Joe Biden when, when that happened. Uh, what is the African People's Socialist Party's position on African refugees from Haiti? Yes. Um, so our, our position is, one, making clear that whenever you see 
not only just Africans in Haiti, but, um, you know, people running to the U.S. or Canada or France or um, England, um, you know, African and other colonized people. Essentially, what's happening, whether they know it or not, is that um, they are chasing their own resources, the resources that's been stolen, because the wealth that exists in the United States, in France, in Canada, in, um, you know, all of Europe, um, came as a result of uh, colon- the colonial enslavement of African people. And as Chairman also has, has been saying over the last few years, um, the colonial mode of production, that this is what causes, is the colonialism that that had to exist and um, continues to exist that impoverishes Africa and African people and, you know, other peoples of the world, while at the same time enrich, enriching um, uh, the United States and the, the white world. Um, so, you know, our, our position is that it's just very criminal, not in the sense of, like, legality, but, you know, it's very hypocritical, and it's also, you know, just the more of the same colonialism for these people to be kicked out when the United States is the reason why these people are leaving their homes and their lives and their families behind because nobody just, you know, wakes up and decide to leave everything they've known, um, you know, just like that without there being a reason as to why they're doing that. And so, uh, you know, these people, they, they, they do these, um, these trips that's like, they have to go through several countries. They're in the woods. They're, you know, really very much like literally in the woods. They're going through Mexico, Belize, Chile. They're going through like eight or nine countries just to make it in the United States, unless they decide to stop in one of those countries that I just mentioned. Um, Knowing what risks there are, not just the risk of making it here and being deported, but dying along the way, you know, and um, some people I know directly who who I've been able to speak to where, you know, they have, they, they put you in this condition where, you know, if you are a pregnant woman, like visibly pregnant or have a small child, you're, you're, you're more likely to be accepted once you make it to the United States. But that also means that you have to make that route on foot while being pregnant and having a small child. So it's, it's a, it's a catch 22. It's a lose, lose situation. And, um, all of it is that, you know, reparations are owed to, to Haiti and all of these other countries, Nigeria. I remember there was, um, uh, Nigeria and other countries from the continent itself. There was about 14,000 people at the border you were talking about and over 7,000 were from Haiti. So, you know, reparations are owed to those countries, um, just overall, you know, more of what we've been what we've been talking about because it's because of the um, the the theft of the wealth of those countries that's putting the people of these countries in this condition. So, the imperialist or, or colonial media uh, is currently sending this this message in in this kind of drumbeat that that we're hearing right now that Haiti is in in absolute desperation, right? That the, the people are uh, in need of something to intervene here. And that as unpopular as a UN or US or, or other colonizer nation in intervention may be, that it may be necessary 
for humanitarian reasons. What do you think of this this appeal to humanitarianism as, as, as the message coming from the colonizers? And what kind of African internationalist response would you like to see to the current situation? Um, well, first, I would say on the question of despair, yes, I would say, um, you know, Haiti is living in desperate times. It would be a lie for me to say otherwise. Um, not only Haiti, but wherever African people are, you know, our our communities, you know, the question, even if it, within the United States, like just a few months ago, there's been this question about, um, you know, the water, the sewage system in, in a certain community, uh, very similar to what took place in Flint, Michigan uh, several years ago. Um, the conditions of African people overall, you know, is very dire. You know, there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of, um, you know, violence that's imposed on us, you know, our the kind of education we are able to receive if we're if we're able to receive it at all, the kind of healthcare we're able to receive if we're ever if we're able to receive it at all, housing. So yes, that part of it um is is true. That part of it, you know, is a fact. But the truth is that we do not need and we should not expect that um any help would come from from white people, from colonial powers, from imperialist powers, from liberals, no matter how how they want to, um, you know, dress it up and say that this is for humanitarian causes or, you know, missionaries, as if we haven't seen the work that these people have produced over centuries that, you know, everywhere they go, this this cannot be, you know, you can't miss it, that they just bring more terror and, you know, and, and despair and that a lot of the despair that exists that I, all of those things I just mentioned is because them intervening and coming in the first place to colonize Haiti and, you know, the rest of the world. So it's just very, again, dishonest when they say that they're using any means they can to try to justify themselves and, uh, their, their colonialism and continued ex, um, exploitation of the people. I think that the right response is for, you know, African, Africa and African people to realize that we are going to be the ones that have to do it for ourselves. Like it says in the African People's Socialist Party's 14-point uh, platform, we are our own liberators, you know, that we cannot wait on any external power. That means spiritually, that means, you know, other other groups of people, it has to be us that has to wake up and, you know, organize ourselves and take this into our own hands because ultimately the goal is self-determination. Um, and I also want to say, uh, you know, in this, I've been watching some footage of Africans in Haiti uh, during the demonstration, some even calling for Russia and China to come in, you know, some saying that, you know, we don't want the United States. We don't want um, Canada, we don't want France, we want Russia and China. And while that is very much um, a powerful statement because of what it represents, like something that the chairman um, talks about a lot in, um, you know, through his writing and through his studies is that, you know, there's a global contest right now taking place between the United States, Russia, um, a global contest taking place in the world. And then, you know, key um, enemies of the United States are China and Russia. So while it's, you know, it's significant that, you know, some Africans would be calling for Russia and China to come in, that's still not the right answer. The, the right answer is for 
African people ourselves to see ourselves as one nation and uh, we organizing, you know, on behalf of each other in unity, in unity with each other, because we're the ones that's facing our problems all over the world. And we're going to have to be the ones to, um, you know, to liberate ourselves. Uhuru. Wow. Well, Alikia Ngoma of the African People's Socialist Party, thank you so much for joining us today for this fascinating conversation. Hope you can come back and, and join us on the show again soon. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I just want to, you know, say to all the listeners, um, you know, thank you for, for tuning in and uh, your continued support of the Uhuru movement. Uhuru. Uhuru. That was Elikia Ngoma the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper and the Haiti expert for the African People's Socialist Party. If you'd like to read Alikia's articles, you can check them out at theburningspear.com. A big thank you to comrade Alikia Ngoma for that interview. And that's it for this edition of Reparations in Action. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with Black Power. My name is Jamie Simpson. We'd like to thank our team of volunteers. Our sound engineer is Robert May, who also composes our theme music. Our research coordinator is Deidre Martin. The show is produced by Kenny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to the director of Agiprop for the African People's Socialist Party, Akile Anayi, as well as Black Power 96.3 FM station manager, DJ Eddie Maltzby. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or if you'd like to join our volunteer team, please email us at ria at blackpower96.org. That's ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to Chairman Omalia Shatawa and the African People's Socialist Party, without whose relentless leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible.